You are listening to RudolfSteinerAudio.com. If you are listening to the podcast of this, it is located at RudolfSteiner.Podbean.com. Please consider becoming a patron. As well, there are two publishing houses, SteinerBooks.org in America and RudolfSteinerPress.com in England, who are the sole publishers of Steiner into English and have given me permission to do these recordings. Please consider patronizing them as well. You are listening to RudolfSteinerAudio.com. This is a reading of a cycle of lectures and seminars by Rudolf Steiner entitled Rethinking Economics. This is part two, the second seminar, given in Dornach on August 1st, 1922. Walter Birgit. Work in the sense of economics is human activity directed toward its profitability. In the field of physics, one knows precisely that physical work is determined by its mechanical effect. Is every effort that is economically profitable already work? No, in the end value can be created only by the consumer. If, through work, something is achieved that produces real value in connection with economics, then it can be called economic work. Rudolf Steiner I would like to provide a little stimulus by asking Herr Birgit what his position would be If we were now to discuss these statements, and, let us say, this question came up, if in some way I were to compare work within the economic organism or process with the physical meaning of work, where does one stand then, if one now considers the concept of physical work more precisely? Certainly, what you have said is all correct, but physicists will then introduce the concept of mass when they set up a formula for their work because physical work, energy, is a function of mass and velocity. You will easily find an analogy for the latter in the economic process. But that is just the peculiarity of the physics formula for physical work, that the concept of mass is introduced, that is, physically determinable through weight. Therefore, we have, in quotes, weight in the physical concept of work that we merely replace with, in quotes, mass and, in quotes, velocity. Now the question is, if we, keep to our anal- if we keep to your analogy, whether it is necessary to introduce something like the concept of mass or weight into the way we look at economics. If we did that, then we would just have to try to find what corresponds to mass in the economic process. Therefore, I believe this question could be brought up in the discussion. Objection. Acknowledgement on the part of the buyer is part of the character of work. The business person presumes this thought of acknowledgement. The fact that the purchase of a product takes place is in itself acknowledgement. Rudolf Steiner. Since your concept of acknowledgement is not primarily an economic one, but more in the area of philosophy, It is necessary, in order for you to somehow justify that this concept has economic value, that you give it economic significance. Because in acknowledgement as such, for example, when the housewife sees that she can well use something, there is scarcely more than a judgment. The element of economics enters in only when she can buy the item. It could well be that it is an excellent thing, but for economic reasons it cannot be bought, 
because it is too expensive. So mere acknowledgement can, no doubt, be a category in philosophy, but it would be an economic category only if it were able to enter into the economic life, and thereby the concept of economic activity would be clarified. Question. What is now the connection between the verification of an economic activity and acknowledgement? Rudolf Steiner, in quotes, acknowledgement, as such can hardly be a category of economics. That may be because acknowledgement has to be something subjective. Of course, something subjective does enter into economics categories, but then one must show how it can become objective. Let us assume two housewives acknowledge something quite differently, and as far as I am concerned, the yes can lead to an economic success and the no to an economic failure. The economic aspect would be found where the reasons lead in one case to success, in the other to failure, because the acknowledgement can only be a philosophical concept. To be sure, the acknowledgement can slip down into the private economic area, but surely it must then slip back up into the economic one. Comment I understand an economic activity to be an anticipation representing itself as an initiative of the physical statement of a verification. Rudolf Steiner Perhaps we are here really dealing with something quite different than what could arise in the discussion. Here we surely want to stay in the realm of economic thinking. This formula has not given me any proof that you have entered into economic thinking in this matter. The formula is, of course, worthy of every acknowledgement, but it is really more the formula of an economic philosophy that attempts, even in a rather scholastic way, to discover the concept of economic activity in order to justify economic activity metaphysically before the whole world. If that is your intention, then you may take this route. Then it would be most interesting to have a conversation about it. But, unless you ask yourself the question, if, for example, it is the point today, and it is the point that a number of people, who are in fact the people of today, bring something out of their thinking into economics that could help lift up the economic life, then it is hard to see right away what could really be particularly gained by such a formulation. Of course, what could be gained is that people learn to think better, but we are also faced by the necessity to make economics as such really fruitful. In natural science and in medicine, it does not matter very much in the end whether one has a methodology. There, it is really more a technique in using the methods the research instruments, and so on. But the methodology itself has no extraordinarily great value. In the theory of economics, it does have such a great value, because what we think about things has to become practical in economics. Otherwise, it is just what Brentano does in his own way, just empirical. It does not become practical. Today we need an economics that can become practical, and therefore it would be really interesting now to go through the definition word for word, but it really lies more in the realm of the philosophy of economics than to economics itself. Herr Birgit's 
explanations were intended to develop the concepts of work so that someone in a union who wanted to become clear about how to value various kinds of work would be helped by those explanations. That was your intention, and that would have to be our intention today if we were stuck in a union, perhaps as some kind of workers, so that we would somehow have a basis on which to value these things in their economic process. Remark Economic work is every human activity that indirectly or directly results in creating value. Rudolf Steiner I believe something else must be considered, particularly when one wants to achieve a practical economic thinking. In order to be clear about it, we will make an analogy from natural science. The whole process in the human organism is totally incomprehensible if one considers only the up-building processes, those, therefore, that go in a certain direction. You get a real understanding of the whole process only if you also consider the disintegrating processes. So, throughout the bones and nerves, for example, we have disintegrating processes. In the blood, besides definite up-building processes, we also have disintegrating ones. We can even say, starting with the formation of of chyle, C-H-Y-L-E, through lymph formation up to the creation of venous blood, that we have up-building processes throughout. Then we have the processes that represent a kind of labile equilibrium between up-building and disintegrating processes, and those going on in the nerves and bones are distinctly disintegrating processes, devolution in contrast to evolution. We attain a real understanding only when, for example, we arrange our concepts in such a way that we understand the liver process as a combination of building up and disintegration. Others can come along and can have a merely theoretical interest. Then they will also distribute the disintegrating processes among the upbuilding ones. They will say that the human being develops physically with the upbuilding processes up to a certain point. Then the human being starts to build up spiritually, therefore differently. Well, then we go from one sphere into the other, only retaining the abstract web of concepts and thereby do not learn to understand anything. We learn to understand the effect of spirit in the human organism only when we know that the spirit begins to work when no upbuilding processes are present, when we know there is no upbuilding in the brain but disintegration. And it is only in disintegration that the spirit puts itself to work. Then I have a way of understanding through which I enter into reality. When I cling onto a conceptual direction step by step with a purely dialectic logic, then I do not arrive at any practical understanding. In economics it is necessary that one take into consideration not only the creation of value, but also of devaluation. That up to a certain point one also speaks of actual destruction. I have really done that. It already begins with consumption, but there is also a spiritual cultural process involved where devaluation also takes place. You would think that when I tear down a house, then that also has a value, because at that place the removal of the house means that something productive is created for someone. Certainly one can look at it that way if one stays within abstract conceptual development. But in practice it is significant where I put together the economic process, 
out-of-value creation and devaluation. And then it must, of course, be clear that work is of significance, not only in the creation of value, but also in its destruction. Without considering that, I do not reach an adequate concept of work. If work did not also exist for destruction, one could not do business at all. This you must bring into your concept. I believe it to be really of the greatest importance for the immediate future to recognize what should happen economically in the area of value creation and value destruction. For when values are created that are not destroyed in an appropriate way, although they are there to be destroyed, then a disturbance of the economic process also occurs. The process is disturbed by too much production. The process is disturbed simply because, put picturesquely, there is too much in the stomach of the economic life. Question. Should we not conceive of work as an activity that comes into consideration for a closed economic organism? Rudolf Steiner. There, it must be considered that things must be accepted as realities. Undoubtedly, making too many umbrellas can be a process of retrenchment, but as far as the work performed is concerned, it is, in any event, an upbuilding process, so long as we are just considering the work. This is not the opposite of the retrenching process of destroying umbrellas. Under certain circumstances, the destruction will not be accomplished with what you would define as work. But in any case, you cannot call the making of too many umbrellas a down-building process if you think the matter through in relation to work. We must be aware that in regard to economic considerations, we should characterize, that is, should try to arrive at a concept so that we look at it from various points of view, to arrive at a really clear judgment. We get nothing from an abstract definition. This concept of work has been put forward. Work is a human activity with regard to its economic value. In short, it is the economic activity of the human being. But how is such a definition of work in the sense of economics differentiated from the definition of work in the physical sense? For there is no reality in such an economic definition. When physicists defines define work through a formula, through a function, and it has mass and velocity in it, then there is a reality in it, because mass can be weighed. When physicists want to define velocity, they set up a definition. This definition serves only to provide understanding. The physicists are entirely aware of the fact that with it they are only pointing out what should be understood. For one only has a concept of velocity who knows it from experience. What they will define is the measure of velocity. And so the physicists will never think they have given any real explanation when this is the one they give. But they are probably of the opinion, whether rightly or wrongly, that I will not investigate, that they are giving a real explanation when they state work to be a function of mass and velocity. With that they start off on a real explanation. If I do that in the economic life, then it is a matter of grasping the history from the right angle. If, for example, I give my explanation of value from that angle in such a way that value is created, that value is a function of work, 
of a natural object, of a natural being, or of spirit and nature, then the work consists of the change that is taking place. This, however, is a qualitative change, whereas for the physicist the moving body undergoes a change of place. What the physicist has as a measurement is a real natural substance. But I come up with a definition that in fact very well meets the requirements of such a real definition in physics. I do something special for the economy when I try to define work for itself. Above all, I must myself be clear about the fact that work as such becomes an economic category only when I bring it to function with a product of nature. When one makes such definitions, one comes into a way of understanding things that later on one actually finds astonishing. You know, for example, that during the era of classical physics, the physicist always defined work as a function of mass and velocity. Compared with the modern perceptions of ion and electron processes, this definition of work completely loses its meaning because there the concept of mass disappears. We deal only with acceleration. There the physical process emancipates itself from what is in it as ponderable mass. Just as with myself, capital emancipates itself from nature that has been worked upon and enters into a function of its own. So, one comes into an area that actually justifies itself in every way. This is the characteristic of thinking that is in accord with reality, that one's thinking goes beyond what is contained in definitions. I want to draw your attention to the fact that when I speak of economic matters, I never try to take hold of a concept where it cannot be taken hold of. I also cannot take hold of, in quotes, mass in physics, only its function. Quote, mass is the quantity of matter, close quote. That is on, also only a word definition. Just as little do I want to regard it as significant in economics that one defines the concepts of nature, labor, and capital one after the other, but one has to take hold where the realities are, not nature, but process nature, not labor, but organized labor, not capital, but capital directed by the human spirit or mind, brought into movement, capital brought into economic movement. To take hold of things there where they are, that I believe is necessary today in economics. Question is not recorded. Rudolf Steiner I want only to work out that the distinction between mental work and physical work is not really justified. If one wanted to define the one mental work and the other physical work, then one could not really find anything other than a slow transition from one pole to the other, but no real opposite. That these things were wrongly looked upon, you can see from the fact that people were always mistaken about the recuperative effect of gymnastics. Today one knows that gymnastics does not represent that recuperation that was formerly ascribed to it. The student will not work more doing so-called mental work than doing gymnastics for the same length of time. Of course, it is always a matter of thinking about economic things in a fruitful way. Question about the relationship between economic and biological thinking. Rudolf Steiner 
Economic activities in their reality, such as they are, are very strongly analogous to biological entities. You can very well verify this when you try to establish the economic value of work, for example, the work of a printer. Let us suppose a lyric poet imagines himself to be an extraordinarily great poet and also brings it about that his poems are printed, be it through patronage, through financial support or something of that sort. And for the realization of this volume of poems, the paper makers, typesetters, a whole number of people, are now at work, who according to Marxist ideas are definitely doing productive work. But let us assume not a single copy is sold, and they are all turned to pulp. Then you would have the same result as if the books had never been made at all. In that case, the work that was performed was basically completely futile. But now you must first again investigate whether what the Marxists say is seven-eighths nonsense or whether it does really have some significance. And there you will observe that the biological way of looking at it offers a certain analogy. You can say, however, in biology I can observe a whole being from beginning to end and have it before me, whereas in economics I deal only with tendencies and the like. But now I ask you whether you have more than tendencies in all the nature around you when you consider that not all of the herring eggs become herrings, but that in comparison with those that do become herrings, innumerable herring eggs are simply destroyed. It is a question, however, whether those destroyed have no significance whatever for the entire process of nature, or whether they merely go in a different direction in the whole biological process. Because that is the case, there would not be any herrings and many other sea creatures, if so, and so many herring eggs were simply not destroyed. Now you are still not on firm ground, if you say, well, so eggs are being destroyed, and so on. Here you are duty-bound to say, I have an evolution before me here. The egg is created and perishes because of something. The whole herring is also created and perishes because of something. The processes go in different directions, and the herring merely follows the tendency indicated by the egg. In no way can you say that the herring has a greater right to cease to exist than the egg. And now you have an analogy between work that perishes and economic entities that perish. One comes across innumerable things when there are analogies between economic thinking and that of biology. It is not noticed because we have an orderly thinking neither in biology nor in economics. If biology would begin to develop correct thinking, it would become very similar to that of economics. In order to pursue biology in a real sense, one needs the same capacities as one needs to pursue economics. Question. Wherein lies the justification for the printed but later destroyed poems as compared with that for the herring eggs. Rudolf Steiner The situation can be as follows. If people who are employed were not kept occupied, then of course they would have to find work somewhere else. And if they had to work elsewhere, then possibly not enough would be derived from their human activity. For under certain circumstances, something must be, in quotes, wasted from human work just as with the herring eggs, and this wastage also has an economic effect. One must absolutely say what one says so easily, 
Sleep is rest. Life is activity. But from a certain point of view, sleep is far more necessary for life than being awake. It is the same with this activity. Of course, you can say you will employ it in a more useful way, but one could ask whether it is more useful if it is umbrellas that are being produced in too great a number. To begin with, these are stopgap measures in a quite incorrect economic process, which is done in order to eliminate orc that would have troublesome uh, eliminate work that would have troublesome consequences. The matter would turn out differently if one had sound thinking in economics. If there were sound thinking in economics, then one would have to be tremendously smart. But here we are going beyond the usual economic considerations in order to evaluate the surplus work time created by those people who are not able to be self-employed. Well, it actually is so. If one were able to be a sound thinker in economics, then something would immediately come about which you would probably welcome with joy. But people cannot imagine that it would be necessary to teach those people who cannot employ themselves, who do not know how to spend their time. But it would hardly be necessary for a person who today works for eight or nine hours to work for more than three or four. If people thought in a sensible way about economics, they would need to occupy themselves far, far less in the way they occupy themselves now and then that which corresponds to the destroyed herring eggs would fall into that time. Now people waste so much time in work that will anyhow be destroyed. To begin with, these are stopgap measures in a quite incorrect economic process, which is done in order to eliminate work that would have troublesome consequences. Remark, when one speaks of biological thinking, then one has a certain limited object of perception about which one thinks. In economic thinking, one has to indicate through the thinking what one is thinking about. Rudolf Steiner In biology, you also have the, quote, limited object of perception, close quote, but in a relative way. In earthly objects, for example, that you look at microscopically, or in which you look at the details as arising out of a great combination you also do not have such a limitation. You can say you have a comprehensively visible object in a drop of blood, but as soon as you look at it microscopically, you see more. Five to six hundred red blood cells are there in one cubic millimeter, and they are all active. That is certainly visible to the eye in the microscope, but it looks very similar to what one sees when one looks at a limited economic process. Assume you are standing in front of a stall at the annual fair and see how the stallkeeper stands there, how his goods lie there. Here are the customers. He hands over their purchases. They put down their money. When you do all that now, I imagine you can manage to be such a giant, and you contemplate all that at once as something quite compact and belonging together, then there is then there are no real distinctions there. In a limited area, I can see economics in an equally relative way. If I consider the stall owner and everything else that goes with him, then that is only relatively different, let us say, than the English selling opium in China, and I consider everything that is connected with that. I cannot understand why no one has any objection to this. Question. I do not know where economics begins and where it ends. 
Rosteiner. One also does not know where what is biological begins. It is something else to work the comparison to death. I mean only, as regards that which makes it possible to understand the nature of living things, the same kind of understanding makes it surely possible to understand economics. Only one thing is necessary. In looking at an object of nature, the object comes toward us, whereas in economics the subject must come a little way toward the object. In economics one has to have what I yesterday called inspiration. Biologists, if need be, can have really very little inspiration and can work only with the methods. But to think in economic ways one will need some inspiration. Question. It seems to me that the economic process came about without the thinking first having been economic. Whether the econo- excuse me, whether the economy proceeds in a healthy or unhealthy way is of no consequence. From here on out I should be able to speak of an object in economics corresponding to that in natural science. Rudolf Steiner Mr. G is correct. The difference consists in that it is necessary in economics to start out from a certain subjective understanding of what is happening out there in the world. But in economics this subjective element again becomes easier for one than it is in biology. As a human being one stands, since one is not a June bug when one is studying it, of course always stands outside and must do so, whereas one stands outside to a much lesser degree when considering something in the sphere of economics. One can always summon so much humanity that one can have a good understanding of the worker as well as of the business person. That is a common human concern and that takes the place of what is outer perception in biology. To that extent Mr. G is correct. On the other hand, I believe that Goethe, for example, gave such a good definition of the shadow side of trade because he got very far in the way he considered biology. So in Goethe one sometimes finds remarkably pertinent views on economics. This is a bit connected with his morphological, biological way of looking at things. Nature just plays the role in biology of someone who gives one a push if one does not oneself have the spiritus. In economics, one must really come up with the spiritus oneself. Objection. There are theoreticians who say that there is no economic theory because economics does not exist. Spahn, in fact, states that. Rudolf Steiner. He is much admired and in Vienna he rates as a special luminary among intelligent people. I have occupied myself too little with him to have much of an opinion about him, but what these intelligent people say about him has not been very enlightening to me. But it would only be a clever dialectic to say that there is no such thing as economics. There are also people, of course, who say there is no life, but only a mechanism. We should now engage in special considerations. Someone should try to show more concretely where economic valuation and devaluation processes are necessary. The end of Seminar 2